Um, but it's a Good Friday. It's a unique time, but we are, in the liturgical sense, we're remembering the night that Jesus died for us on the cross. And so what a fresh opportunity to be grateful that I stand here and you stand there or sit there uh, forgiven if you believe in Jesus. It's, a, it's an incredible thought. And in a couple of days, we'll celebrate the resurrection. Praise God that Jesus didn't stay dead. He's the only religious leader that's not in his grave still. He died and three days later was resurrected and uh, appeared to many and did a little ministry, cooked a few breakfasts and, and then ascended to the Father. And uh, we wait with great hope and expectation for his second advent, his return. And in the meantime, we, we learn to love him and others well. That's not my sermon tonight. That was the pre-sermon. Just really quick. Again, it is April 10th, Good Friday. Just a couple quick uh, announcements. Number one, we don't have any firmly established dates on upcoming events, so I'm just saying, I'm saying stay tuned. Stay tuned for upcoming events. But there is a 24-hour night of prayer that's being discussed, and it's my hope that once we're given the all-clear to begin gathering again, our first Friday or second Friday back, you know, depending on how that goes, we'll have a, a 24-hour prayer night and uh, looking forward to that. So so if that interests you, just begin to put that in the back of your mind. Again, no solid dates. We just, we're going to await word from the government, the, the governor, the president, just to see what what is best. Also, I always like to put a plug for sowing into the ministry. If you have a heart for what we do, would so appreciate a financial contribution. We operate on about a 7000 a month budget that goes to paying our rent and our utilities and supporting a number of missionaries and folks who work with uh, GP Hop. So want to throw that out there and would so appreciate your support. I encourage people to go through the announcements on the back of the notes every once in a while. We have lots of missionaries we pray for friends in the military, opportunities to get involved, etc., etc. Okay. With that, we will go to the Word of God. Let me pray. And once again, just want to say a big thanks to my sons, Noah and Joshua. Caleb was my helper last week, and Noah and Joshua are my helpers this week. They got this thing going. And hopefully, I preach a good message. <laughs> they'll either give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. If I go too long, they, they'll yell at me. Okay, so Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, the greatest name, the most precious name. Lord, all over the world, the church is saying thank you for dying for us. Thank you for being willing to be forsaken. You said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You took on the wrath of God. You took on the punishment for our sins so that we could know you, have a relationship with you, have our sins purged from our record, and have eternal fellowship with God. We're grateful tonight, and we love you, and I pray, God, for your grace. I pray for your spirit to anoint these words to touch hearts through technology, through Facebook Live, us in this room, even though it's me and my sons, and through the recording, I pray for those listening to the recording that they would be touched, that all of us would experience your presence even as the word is declared. Father, help me to communicate tonight what is on your heart and give us ears to hear what you would say to us through your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Still not used to the empty room dynamic. I, I look up and there's no one in the seats and my precious boy's in the back, but it's just me and whoever's on Facebook. So it's a little odd and hopefully we don't get too used to this. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to being back to 
the new normal after this. Still, still getting used to nobody laughing at my bad jokes. And no one laughed at that one. <laughs> I better get going. So John 17, the prayer of prayers, part three. Two weeks ago, we started with part one. Last week, part two. And now this week, part three. We'll have one more after this week. I'm going to go ahead and, and read John 17, 20 to 23. Again, these notes are on our website if you want to download them and go through them with me. And if you have a question, post it in the comments and I'll answer it at the end. Excuse me. So here we go. John 17, 20 to 23. We're going to look at four verses tonight. And we're going to break them down. John 17, verse 20. Jesus was praying for himself. Then he switched to praying for his disciples. And now he switches gears again in verse 20. And he's praying for future disciples. Just to give us a little bit of an idea of where he's going. So in verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone. Remember last week, he says, I don't pray for the world. I pray for my disciples. Now he transitions again in his prayer. I don't pray for just these disciples in the room. I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they all may be one. I love that he prays that, that they all may be one, not anointed, not powerful. There's so many words he could use, so many things he could have prayed, but he, he says that they all may be one. Not against anointing, not against power, so into that. But I'm so moved by the words of Jesus' prayer, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by what he said and what he did not say. Verse 21, he says that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. What a deep word. That they also may be one in us. Then he drops a significant statement that the world may believe that you sent me. Make them one so that the world believes that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. And then finally, verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me again this is Jesus praying to the father he ends his prayer at least the, the verses we're going to look at saying have loved them as you have loved me let me just go through some introductory comments i've i've taken what i had from week one, and I narrowed it in week two, and I narrowed it even more in week three here, just to give us a quick sense, and then I'll go break this four verses down even more. But John 17 could be thought of as a deeper look into Jesus' heart. As he's praying to the Father, he's expressing more fully this friendship that he wants to have with his disciples. Again, the series we looked at before the John 17 series, John 14, 15, and 16, he's building on you know, each of these truths that he's been sharing, essentially saying, I have led you into obedience, I've led you into a certain way of following me that is ultimately not just about obedience, it's ultimately not just about fruitfulness, it's about friendship with me. And they're all intertwined, you can't separate them, but some Christians think it's only about a bigger ministry, or some people think it's only about obeying for the sake of obedience. But Jesus is saying, no, I am, I am after a real friendship type relationship where I say things to you and it moves you and you say things to me and it moves me and we talk and we, we have this relationship that's real. 
And so John 17 is the culmination of John 14, 15, and 16. He, he takes his teaching up a notch and he says, what I'm about to say is so important, I'm not just going to say it to you, I'm going to say it to God. And you're going to listen in and your mind's going to be blown and then you're going to take that into your prayer life. So this is a deeper look at some of the kind of behind-the-scenes inner workings of Jesus' heart. How am I going to make this plan happen to be friends with these people and future disciples? Well, I'm going to give them some keys in this prayer. And so Jesus is opening His heart and giving us this deep look into what's going on in the heart of God. What does God say to God? And more specifically, what does God pray to God? I mean, when we think of Jesus out in the wilderness praying all night, there's verses on that. What does he say? And oh, to have that scripture, but we don't. But we do have it here in John 17. So the Lord is fully expressing this desire to have friendship with his disciples. And number two... I call John 17, it's the King of Kings praying the prayer of prayers. The King of Kings praying the prayer of prayers. It's the greatest man to ever live praying the greatest prayer we have available in Scripture. I mean, this is God who made the universe. This is God talking to God. Many commentators and scholars call this the Holy Grail of Scripture. It is the of the highest order of red letter. I mean, we believe the whole Bible is significant, and it is. But when Jesus talks, it's really significant. I mean, it's God. It's not just someone commenting about God. It's God. All the Bible is the Word of God. It's inspired by God. But there's something about when God prays, we, we just pay attention. We go, wow. We stand in awe, and we... We seek to incorporate it into our prayer life. And the question I've been asking for these first three weeks is, is imagine, imagine tonight if the church you went to or the church in our city or the church in your region looked like the answer to John 17. What if Jesus' prayer was answered in our lifetime and the church looked like that? A church that has a revelation of the glory of God. A church that is unified. A church that walks through these truths that the Lord lays out. I mean, it's just mind-boggling to think about. That's just a little bit of introductory thought. And now let's just go down to number three on the notes, the significant themes in verses 20 to 23. Again, there's so much that could be said. There's so much that could be studied. There are folks who've written entire books on John 17. There's so much here. So we're going to just glean the very tip of the the iceberg here. We're going to go to verse 20. Again, Jesus said, I'm not just praying for the disciples that are listening to me. I'm praying for those who will believe through the ministry of the disciples. So verse 20, Jesus is praying for their ministry, the disciples' ministry. He shifts the focus of his prayer from the disciples to the disciples of the disciples. So he's he's laying out a a truth here that there's going to be ministry and that they are going to touch another generation of followers of Jesus. And he has in view this future church, the following generations, as I've said. And so he's essentially, Jesus is now talking to the Father about the bigger plan. And I like to just think, you know, of of some of the disciples sitting in the the circle or however they were sitting in the room and they're listening to the Lord pray this and they begin to hear the words and I pray for those who will believe through them, their minds starting to shift into, oh, wow, there's going to be others. 
I'm responsible. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to do something, and it's going to have an impact. And and then more people will believe, and then maybe more after that. So he's trying to get them thinking in this direction that there's this bigger plan than just following Jesus for three years. Again, this is still before the cross. I know it's Good Friday, and we're going to we're going to get there in John pretty quick, but this is the Lord's already trying to teach them and help them even through this prayer that there's a bigger, there's a more extended plan that's unbeknownst to the 12 and the close followers of the Lord. And this plan, they didn't know it, but it was going to span thousands of years and billions of believers, hundreds of millions and billions were, were in the mind of God as he's praying to God. There's this bigger plan that's unfolding. And I just can't imagine if Jesus would have just said to, to the 12, hey guys, what you're a part of is going to affect people for thousands of years. There's going to be billions of people. I just don't think they would have believed it. And so the Lord is praying. He's talking to the Father about this bigger reality. Now, the first bullet under number one says the disciples believed Jesus' words. We covered that that last week. Jesus said, I kept them in the truth. They've believed, they've received. So the disciples believed Jesus' words, and now others, I'm squeaking underneath here, others were going to believe their words. So catch that. Jesus ministered and the disciples believed Jesus, but Jesus is going away. And now they are the leadership. Again, Jesus just taught them, I'm leaving, the Spirit will come, and He will actually be in you. You're the leadership of the move now, and others are going to believe because of you. Significant. So these men, these 12 and whoever else might have been in the room, maybe a few people that snuck in, I doesn't say. The historical church all the way up to the contemporary church, us, was what Jesus was talking about here. A, a plan of millennia. Again, millions, billions of people. He's petitioning his Father, the Father of glory, about this. And the the disciples are listening in. So in a way, Jesus is hinting, you're going to be successful. (laughs) There are already, in my mind, there's going to be more that believe. It's going to be epic. But I'm already in, in front of the move. I'm already praying for your ministry and those you're going to touch. And you don't know it, but it's going to go thousands of years to one day they're going to talk about it at a house of prayer in East Peoria. It's a big plan, and I'm interceding to get you thinking that direction. And it's going to take the prayer life of God to to keep that church on course through the storms throughout the ages. I imagine, I'm just kind of guessing and kind of having fun thinking about it. I'm guessing that he's, he's trying to help these young men. They're still, you know, they're three years old in the Lord, two and a half, three years old in the Lord. I mean, they're growing quick. They don't understand a lot, but great teacher. He's, he's kind of hinting a little bit at the impact they are going to have, which is just absurd. It is so epic There's no way you could have told these men, nowhere in their wildest dreams would they imagine you are going to help launch and set the trajectory of a revival that will last thousands of years and touch billions of people. I mean, I just think if I'm sitting in that room, it's not even on my grid. Numbers like that don't exist in the human brain yet. But what they were being prepared to do was historically unparalleled. And I think the Lord was kind of hinting as He talks to the Father, your words 
are going to do something and others are going to believe and then others are going to believe and then others are going to believe and others after that. And it's going to be this body of Christ that emerges in the nations and it will never fail because I'm leading it and I'm praying for it and guiding it and you're the human leadership and there's going to be other leaders but you're going to preach and you're going to teach and you're going to witness your words are going to do something what a significant part of the prayer again I pray for those who will believe through their word There was a word that Jesus put in these men. And that word would spread like wildfire. The word of the Lord was going to run swiftly and be mighty and shake many places. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in church history. Now in verses 21 to 22, Jesus shifts gears from praying for their ministry to praying for the unity of those who will believe. Again, he's assuming fruitfulness. He's uh, uh, assuming, quote-unquote, ministry success. There will be people who believe because of the word and the witness of these disciples. And so he's already in front of it. I, I love how the Lord's already in front of it, always. He knows where it's going. He's really smart. He's God. I mean, anybody that can make universes is kind of in front of things. And so he's praying that... Those who would believe, again, absolutely love it. Not that they would be powerful and anointed. He prays that they would be one. Because that word one most clearly describes God. I want them to be like us, Father. Of all the words that could describe us, we're just so together. We're in such profound harmony. We love each other. We're so knit together. I want that. Of all the things Jesus could have spent 26 verses praying, all the things he could have asked for, send a billion angels. Send your fire. Let resurrections happen everywhere they look. Let shadows heal everything. He could have asked for anything and he could have gotten it. But what does the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, ask the Father for? He says, make them close. Make them one. Give them a spirit of unity. Let there be such oneness that people think of God when they think of those people. That's what he begins to pray. It's so moving. It's so like God. If I was in charge, I'd, I'd say, Father, let there be miracles and power and walking on water and translations between cities. And I want all this, seriously. But the word Jesus chose was the word one. It's as if it's number one on his list that His people would be one in love, one in humility, one in meekness, that they would be one with each other and one with God. That's the prayer Jesus prays for the future disciples, those who will believe, which again is the second generation of disciples up to us. That spans thousands of years. That spans how many generations? Let them be one. And friends... It's going to happen. We've covered this for three weeks. God, when God prays, God answers God. This prayer will be answered. Excuse me. I can't wait. I mean, I can wait. (laughs) That's the only option we have. But as an expression, I can't wait to see this church emerge in all the nations of the earth. Where in every nation there is a a vast number of believers who are one with each other. Wow. 
Jesus wanted them to be close with each other just like Jesus is with the Father and the Spirit. And there's no division between Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. There's no dividing up the Trinity. There's, there's no separating it. He wants them to be that close. I can't imagine how it's possible, but if Jesus is praying for it, we pray for it. If Jesus thinks it's possible, we think it's possible. I don't let disunity bog me down. I don't think of, you know, oh, that guy's mad at that guy or that ministry is against that ministry or that stream can't stand that stream. I don't even pay attention to it. I mean, I hear about it, but I am so confident in God far beyond any of that trivial stuff out there. This is going to happen. Now it's going to happen with willing hearts, but more and more are going to get pulled into the vortex of this God who's just saying, this is wisdom, come over here, be one. It's going to happen. Praise the Lord, it's going to happen. There's something in the Trinity that Jesus wanted. I mean, He's experienced it for eternity past. There's something in the Trinity that Jesus wanted and wants in His body, the global church. Not just in one local church, but that's awesome when it happens. Not just in a couple ministries in a city, but globally. Every true believer on the earth, Jesus is asking, make them one God. The logical question is, how is that possible? I can't think of a greater miracle than that if that were to happen. And Jesus says, that's right. You've answered wisely. It takes God to unify the church like God. Let's get into this. Let's let's make decisions to to promote unity and build bridges and create networks of relationship and friendship. Let's get on Jesus' team and let's be an answer to this prayer. Now, whenever I talk about unity or oneness or harmony... People get nervous because, again, they don't tremble at the words of God. They think their thing. I'm not talking about throwing doctrine and the Bible out the window. This is the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. So if unity and oneness makes you nervous, like, well, we're going to have to throw out all this doctrine so we can... No, I'm talking about people loving Jesus, believing the Bible, strong convictions... Tozer talks about this gentle dogmatism. We're going to have a few different beliefs. We're going to be dogmatic about a few things, but gentle. But I'm talking about having really strong convictions, not lowering standards, and unity in the midst of that. I mean, we're talking about disciples, 12 disciples who were going to be, you know, apostolic leaders. Apostolic leaders aren't whimsical, whatever. They have fierce convictions. They are going somewhere. They don't water down anything. And I'm telling you, if Jesus can do it with the 12, He can do it right now. Even with all the doctrine and theology that's out there, the Lord's going to bring a spirit of oneness. It's coming. It's here to a measure, and it's going to increase, is what I mean by that. Man, if I can just get a few people into this and then they can get a few people, this is important. Now, real quick, when we think of unity, it's important to think biblically. God is three persons within one another. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. So God is three persons within one another making one. We worship one God, Father, Son, Spirit, three distinct persons, one God. Similarly, the body of Christ is many parts and members within one body, and that body is Christ, which is a mystery. It's beyond our understanding right now. But what we do know is, is that me and you and that ministry and that church and that movement over in that country and all of it is one body one spiritual body that is part of Christ. 
And so unity isn't this whatever kind of thing. It's us understanding that we are a part of one another in Christ. It's heady. It's, it's hard to explain. We need to start talking about it. In other words, you out there, me in here, my kids, that movement, that church, we're all interconnected. We're part of the same body. Not just the same team, not just the same army, the same body. Just like my heart and my lungs and my stomach, intestines, all of that is in one body. We're, we're connected to each other like this. Another way to think of it is, is that my words and actions affect you out there. And your words and actions affect other Christians. It all is connected. Now, in verses 21 to 22, Jesus spoke of the glory that God gave him. The glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one like us. What's that glory? The glory he's talking about is understanding of his Father. He's covered this in previous chapters and in this prayer. That glory that the Father gave to Jesus was understanding of the Father, revelation of his heart. And so what Jesus is saying is, is this glory I'm giving to this next generation of disciples because that understanding of God produces unity. Say it backwards. Unity happens when we understand what God's really like. His oneness, His love, His truth, all of that, if it's rightly understood, it makes us want to be unified. Instead of creating hard divisions all over, we soften, we become humble, and we say, not, not things like, I need you. We start to say things like, you're actually a part of me. It's a revelation. It's not like I'm finally giving you out there permission to be in my life. That's the worldly sentiment. Biblically, you out there with hard convictions and me over here or me here and that person out there, we are the body. <laughs> we are the body of Christ. We're already part of one another. We're just not aware of it. And so it's funny how we talk. Well, I'm just going to, I guess I'll, I'll allow that ministry to have a voice in my life now. No, that's the body of Christ. I tell you what, where people love Jesus, that's the body of Christ, people. And I know there is a huge amount of people who stumble over that because what about, they have to believe this, and then they have to believe that, and then they have to believe, no, no, no. If they believe in Jesus, and they love Jesus... I mean, they've got to work on their theology sometimes. We all do. Here's the thing. The only man that's walked into heaven with an A-plus on their theology report card is Jesus. The rest of us get to stay humble and teachable and say, I'm going to have convictions. I'm going to believe what I believe is true. But if what I believe has led me to be completely divisive and shut off from other parts of the body of Christ, which I'm a part of them and they're a part of me, it shows that I don't know God right. Because what Jesus is saying is if you understand the Father, if you have revelation of His heart and mind, you're going to be one. We need to preach the Father. We need to preach the glory. What's the glory? It's big. It's not just one thing. It's a vast amount of things. It's the fullness. It's like some people say, Derek, explain prayer. Well, there's like a thousand things for me to say. <laughs> Prayer's big. There's intercession. There's petitions. There's alone. There's corporate. There's, there's moaning. There's silence. It's huge. And just like the glory, it's big. 
And there's a part of the glory of God that Jesus is honing in. I'm giving them this glory. I'm imparting what you gave me, which is this ministry of understanding the Father's heart and mind. I'm giving that to them. That's what's going to keep them. That's what's going to promote oneness. That glory promotes a rare kind of oneness. It's a God-like oneness. And that unity-promoting glory, knowledge of the Father, it's evident in the overwhelming spirit of unity in the early church in the book of Acts. There was an overwhelming spirit of unity in the book of Acts. Any honest student of the book of Acts would look at the book of Acts and say, I want that. They were so close. They were friends. They had everything in common. They ate together. They loved each other. They prayed. They saw miracles. Anybody that reads the book of Acts is like, that's it. We want that. There was a glory given to the disciples, and that glory produced that, which includes a oneness, a companionship, a friendship. It wasn't like a bunch of people trying to make it in ministry. It wasn't a bunch of people trying to get rich or a thousand other things that are misguided. It was they just loved each other. They were friends, man. Wow. They were one. They acknowledged the apostles got work to do. We've got work to do. We accept our assignment We're just going to be happy about it and love each other. Here's all my money. I put it on the table. You do whatever you want with it. Here's my life. Whatever you need, I'll do it. Oh, that we would see that kind of revival. Not a, my ministry is the best ministry revival. But no, the whole body of Christ valuing each other one with one another, one with God. We're all significant. Whether you're labeled this or that, this denomination, that denomination, if you love Jesus, we love each other. Derek, that sounds so idealistic, but here's reality. No, let me tell you reality. John 17. John 17 is going to pierce every other perceived reality. I have a feeling many are going to sit shamefaced when they see this answered on planet Earth. There are many scoffers and many sit in churches scoffing, calling things that are in the Bible idealism. Meanwhile, the Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, is praying for it. I better reel this back in here, folks. How am I doing, guys? Doing okay? All right, my kids are back there playing Jenga, and there's nobody giving me any nods. So if you're nodding through Facebook, thank you. Folks, this prayer gets me amped up, excited, hopeful, faith-filled. I'm falling in love with Jesus reading this prayer. I love His ways. I love how He thinks. I love how He talks. Now, there's a leadership principle in this part of the prayer, and that is that unified leaders promote unified Christians and churches and ministries and streams and parts and members of the body and movements and revivals. If there's unity among the leadership, that's why he's praying for it. Friends, you understand this. If the leadership has a spirit of unity and oneness and harmony that's more than words, it's a reality of their heart, if they're living that and walking in that glory, that revelation of the Father, it's going to trickle down into the masses. And then the masses are going to be one with the other masses experiencing a revival. And then those masses are going to be in harmony with the other masses. It's going to just spread like wildfire. So there's a very important principle. Leaders that are unified promote other Christians, churches, etc. that are unified. We see in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, God gives us leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? 
to unify us so that we get mature. He gives us leaders so that we become unified and so that in unity we grow up, we mature. Now here's the thing. Noah, do you get are you you good? You just sitting up here? Okay, thanks, buddy. I love I love you. Thanks for coming up front, bud. Now here's the thing. The apostles because again, when I talk about unity, people think too idealistic, Derek. Let's be real let's be realistic. Excuse me. The apostles and the leaders of the early church, the ones that are in the room hearing this prayer, of course they wrestled with doctrinal issues. We see this in the New Testament scripture. Of course they wrestled with cultural uh, I'm sorry, cultural questions. Try saying that five times fast. Cultural questions. Cultural questions. You can't do it. They wrestled with doctrine. They wrestled with cultural questions. That's hard. Between Jews and Gentiles. And what should the Gentiles do? And what should the Jews do? They wrestled with that. There was errant teaching all over. There was people trying to exalt themselves and come up with strange doctrines, draw people into their own little thing. That, that was happening. But it wasn't the main focus there was a profound spirit of unity that overshadowed the theological squabbling. Yes, they had to have times where they convened and, and laid out on paper, here's what we believe, here's what we think other people should believe, and we see that through church history. Yes, that happened to the apostles, but I think what we do is we make that because we tend to live in an antagonistic society that values debate. The media we watch, there's just constant mocking. So we think, I think, that all they really did was wrestle through controversies all, time, all the time. When in reality, 95 to 99% was just doing life. And as they did life, they enjoyed fellowship. That, that book of Acts revival, and then on into the early parts of the first century, you know, from 30 to 70, 80 AD, there was a, a dramatic oneness. Not to say there weren't challenges. We know that the Lord had to bring correction in about 70, 80 A.D. through John's letters. But I don't think we're true to Scripture when we make, like, controversy is the big takeaway. When in reality, there was a oneness. There was a spirit of family. There was a care and concern for one another that was truly unique. It was tremendous. And I not only want that, I want to exceed that. Perhaps there's more than that in the grace of God. Now in verses 21 to 22, that glory that produces unity also provokes unbelievers to faith. There's something about genuine oneness of heart and mind that is like a sunshine. The oneness that the early church walked in had a light about them and it was like radiating to the outside world of unbelievers in the Roman culture saying, we've got something, it's real, God's real, Jesus is the Son of God. It was like a, a radiance that shined off of the body of Christ Jesus prays in that verse. The glory that you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you sent me. So he says twice in these four verses that the world may believe that you sent me and the world may know that you sent me. Praying for the whole world, that the whole world would be touched 
because of what I accomplish in you. Now personally, I hope and pray that a vast amount more are going to be saved than I'm imagining right now and and that you're imagining. Now I love praying with kids. I, I mean, we do prayer meetings with kids all the time and I love it. We give them the microphone, pray whatever you want. I pray the whole world would know Jesus. And I just get humbled. I, I hear my kids pray and I hear other kids pray and I'm like, leave it up to a child to pray the biggest prayer in the world. We know there will be unbelievers to the end. We know there will be believers at the end. I'm hoping many, many more are going to be saved than I'm thinking and you're thinking. I tell you what, though, I want to have faith with regard to a worldwide revival that sweeps billions into God's kingdom. I want there to be an answer to the Lord's prayer. I want a spirit of unity on the churches because Jesus said when there is, the world believes. It provokes the globe. I mean, I, I think to myself, man, if there's something that we could do, a ministry that we could start that would touch the whole world, man, I'd love to do that. And Jesus says, well, let me give you two thoughts in just four verses You walk in oneness, it'll start to provoke people on a global level. On a global level. Now, it may be that it means some unbelievers go, yeah, I believe Jesus is out there. I'm not going to follow him, but I believe he's out there for real now. I see God's done something in your life. I don't think it's necessarily guaranteeing the world gets saved. I mean, the whole world. Well, we know quite clearly that there's going to be vast numbers that oppose God all the way to the end. But there's something about a church in the glory of God and a spirit of unity that provokes the nations on a global level. And it's almost like all we have to do is swallow our pride, value each other more, care for each other, ask for this oneness, and all of a sudden we're touching different nations. The world starts to ask questions. I want that. I want to be among a people, I want to be in a city that has faith for a worldwide revival sweeping in billions around the nations of the earth. But I want to do something about it. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just give it lip service. I want to align my life in such a way that would promote that. Which is we do have to walk in a spirit of oneness. All of that being said, and I'm going to be closing here relatively soon, we must resist universalist notions. I don't believe, and I don't think any serious Christian believes, I mean, maybe there's a serious Christian out there that might be universalist, I don't know. But I mean a serious Bible-believing Christian We must resist this idea that, oh, everybody will be saved anyway. Let's just go about our lives. That's, of course, not going to fly with Jesus and the rest of the testimony of Scripture. I know that there is a universalism out there. I know that it's a a notion that, that is a part of culture and some parts of Christian culture. But what we must give our credence to and what we must pray into and talk about is the gospel of Christ prevailing upon the nations of the earth. The message of the gospel. The message of Jesus. The only way of salvation. There is no way to the Father. There's no way to redemption from our sins apart from 
the man Christ Jesus. We must know him in order to be saved. And I know that there are going to be errant thoughts. I'd say probably one of the most subtle undercurrents is just the notion of universalism. Isn't it going to just all work out in the end? Isn't it, you know, don't we just all go to the same place? That's kind of popular. And so we have to, in love, speak that truth that no, that's not what's going to happen. We must see the gospel of the kingdom advance into every ethnic people group in the entire earth to give proper witness that this is the only way you're saved if you worship Jesus and no other God. See, the gospel is diametrically opposed to this spirit of the world that just kind of says, whatever. We must resist any universalist notions and believe the gospel, the message of Jesus, the Son of God, the Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, who lived for 30 years, 33-ish, died, was buried, put in a cave and resurrected three days later that we're celebrating tonight, ascended, appeared to many, did miracles, went to the Father, and is coming back again in glory. There's no other gospel. There's no other message. That's the one. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to take away sin. That's the word that Jesus is praying for in this prayer that would get out to the next disciples and the next disciples and the next disciples and the next disciples and the next disciples disciples up to us. And we are to carry the same message forward. It's not us. It's Him. Fall at His feet in worship. Give him your life, and he'll give you eternal life. Now, verse 23, wrapping this up, Jesus prays sort of a summary. Again, not the end of the prayer, but it's like a summary. It's sort of a conclusion of what he was just saying in these three to four verses. He asked the Father again that future believers would be one, that they would be Come fully mature, that they would be a global witness, and then he tags something on that is truly extraordinary. From this line to the end of John 17, I mean, if the whole chapter is the Holy of Holies, this is just the holiest part of the Holy of Holies. I don't know how to describe it. He begins to drop information. This just in another category. It's the difference between a little firecracker and a nuclear bomb. I mean, if the whole, if the whole, as powerful as it is, if the whole chapter is a firecracker, we'll call it an M80. If the whole chapter is an M80, these last few verses are nuclear bombs. They are that potent. And we're going to examine these potent and nuclear truths next week in more detail. But let me just wet the palate here. Jesus is praying that future believers, that includes you and me and camera guy Noah behind the camera there, he prays that we would know, that we would know this, that God loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Did you know that tonight, friends? God doesn't just love you generically. God doesn't just love you a whole bunch. God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. The same Intensity, the same emotion. That verse in Mark 1.11 where he speaks audibly. Jesus is just going about his ministry and God the Father speaks audibly. Other people hear it. Some said it was thunderous. 
God the Father says, you are my beloved son. I'm, I'm so pleased with you. God the Father loves you and me and Noah and Joshua and this house of prayer and the church in Peoria, the church in central Illinois, the church in America, the church in the nations, the global ecclesia. God the Father loves us as much as he loves his son Jesus. And folks, that's a love that is eternal. We don't have, we don't have a, a words for that. God has loving emotions toward you, listening on this recording, watching through Facebook, whatever. God the Father has emotion and thoughts and plans and interest in you the same as equal level compatible with the second person of the Trinity. This is the nuclear bomb he drops in John 17. That's why it's called the Holy of Holies. How much different would your life be if you believed that? In fact, that's what I want to close with is that question. Do you believe that? It's okay, Noah. It's okay. Do you believe that your Father in Heaven loves you that intensely. Well, but you don't know my life, Derek. You don't know where I came from and Jesus was perfect and I'm not perfect and I just sinned today. No, no, no. You don't know God like the Bible reveals God. He sees beyond all that. Here's the thing. If you know Jesus... If you're saved, if you're a Christian, you're in Christ. The Father views you like He views Jesus. Your record's clear. You're innocent. You're fully loved, just like Jesus is fully loved. And here's the thing, gang. Eternity is going to be a feast of understanding just how much He delighted in you specifically. For the rest of eternity, He'll tell the story of His love for you. How much He loves you. Why He did the whole thing. Why He made you. Why He gave you a certain personality. Why this happened. Why that happened. You are going to find out His deep love for you for endless ages on and on. Now my kids are making fun of me from behind the camera. The same father who spoke audibly to his son, he says this over you. I'm pleased with you. I love you. Know that I love you. You're well pleasing to me. Follow my son. That's what he says tonight. Follow my son. Know that I love you. Amen and amen. Well, that's our message for tonight. John 17, the prayer of prayers, part three. And Noah, is there anybody that wrote anything on the comments? Do you see any comments there? Michael Dodd said, yes, unity in the body of Christ. Okay, thank you, Michelle. Unity. Any other comments on there? Okay, so, so Noah says we got no questions just one comment. Thank you, Michelle, for tuning in and others. Um, if you're still with us watching, guys, why don't you come out in front here, sit uh, right, right next to me. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to say a prayer. So let's just stretch out our hand to the camera and we're going to pray. Uh, I'm just going to have you guys say a really quick prayer just that God would make us one and unified. You want to go real quick, Noah? Jesus, I pray that um, God would make us one and unified in the name of God, amen. Amen. Joshua, you want to pray a quick prayer? Sure. God, I pray that the coronavirus would go away, and I pray that um, the, the, the coronavirus would just end, God, and I pray that you would just be with us today, amen. Amen. That was an awesome prayer, both of you guys. Let's keep our hands stretched out. Father, 
We do pray that you would end the coronavirus quickly and that you'd have mercy on the nations of the earth that are experiencing this pandemic. Have mercy on our nation. Give our president and our elected officials wisdom to know what to do. And and Lord, we do ask you, Father, right now, to make your church one. Make us unified all over our city and our nation and the church all over the nations. Make us one. Make us an answer to your prayer and remind us in a way that blows our mind how loved we are, that you love us as much as you love your son, Jesus. And we thank you for this night. And we bless all those who tuned in and we bless all those who listened to the recording. May you have a great rest of your Easter weekend. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.